In my role treating folks who actually work here at the university, I see a lot of perfectionism and people-pleasing. And so boundaries are tough because absolutely when you have a high work ethic, a high standard for yourself, it's hard to say no. And so I'm, I'm here for it. Let's talk about boundaries. Welcome to Well Developed, a podcast where we explore how to bridge the gap between well-being and professional development. My name is Erin Herrera. I'm the Associate Vice Chair of Well-Being in the Department of Anesthesiology at Washington University in St. Louis. I'm Rachel Moquin. I'm an Assistant Professor and Director of Learning and Development in the Department of Anesthesiology at Washington University in St. Louis. And Erin and I um, started this podcast because we believe that it is difficult to learn well or perform well when you are not well. So in this podcast series, we'll be bringing in experts and sharing our knowledge and experience on these important topics. We hope to provide space to validate, normalize, and explore the ways in which we bring our whole selves to work. Hi, welcome back. Thanks for joining us again this week for another installment of our um, Professional Development Wellbeing podcast series. Uh, just a quick round of introductions here before we get started. Uh, I'm Erin Herrera. I am the Associate Vice Chair of Wellbeing in the Department of Anesthesiology. I'm here with my partner in crime, Dr. Rachel Moquin. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Rachel Moquin. I'm a faculty member and the Director of Learning and Development in the Department of Anesthesiology. And we have the pleasure of having a, a special guest with us today. So you get a third voice in addition to uh, hearing from Erin and I. We get to hear from our um, special guest. I'll let her introduce herself. Hi, thanks for having me. My name is Alicia Ott. I'm a staff therapist in the School of Psychiatry. And my primary role as staff therapist is to treat employees of Washington University. I work for something called WooDirect. That's great. And um, Alicia was referred to us by her colleagues as the boundaries expert in her department. So we are so excited to kind of explore um, all kinds of things, boundaries here in our podcast today and kind of how that relates to our um, general title of what we talk about, our development and well-being and how we can kind of translate that to our work and our life. I think it was important for when Erin uh, and I were setting up the sort of topic for today and thought, oh, boundaries, that's really important. I think we both recognize that neither of us is the shining example, <laughs> maybe, of setting um, boundaries around work-life balance or overcommitting or um, those sorts of things. So that's why it was um, particularly important this week to bring in someone who can both give us guidance and, and then help us to share with, with everyone else, too. So thank you. You bet. And I have to say, it in my role treating folks who actually work here at the university, I see a lot of perfectionism and people-pleasing. And so boundaries are tough because absolutely when you have a high work ethic, a high standard for yourself, it's hard to say no. And so I'm, I'm here for it. Let's talk about boundaries. Great, great. Great to know Rachel and I are not alone in our, our struggles <laughs> for creating boundaries. Um, so I know boundaries is kind of a big term. Um, so Alicia, would you mind kind of talking us through a little bit about kind of some of the different definitions of boundaries and ways we can kind of explore it today? Absolutely. So my favorite definition is from Prentice Hemphill, the author, and they define boundaries as the distance at which I can love you and me simultaneously. And I think that is very appropriate. Now, when it comes to work, I can't say love work necessarily, but 
not be burned out. I can still function and be productive and love me simultaneously. So that that's my go-to boundaries definition. That's a powerful, powerful <laughs> way to put it. Yeah, that's already hitting me. I'm like, oh, am I doing that? Am I am I loving myself and also doing all those things? Yeah. What? Um, so let's talk about a little bit when advice. What's your go-to advice for people that you that come to you and say they're struggling with creating creating appropriate boundaries? Oh, so many. Right. So first thing would be what's your communication style? Right. If you feel like you're passive and the yes person, if you are struggling and this could be work, this could be personal life, parenting, being an adult child, right? Just saying no. So if your go-to communication style is passive, I'd say really learn what that means for you and how that's a huge red flag for boundary violations. If other people know you're passive and you're the yes person, then you will always be the yes person. Um, So a healthy boundary is, well, like I said, it's when I can love you and me simultaneously. So if that means saying no, um, on the flip side, I would say sometimes our boundaries or our uh, communication style can be very rigid, right? And so we definitely want to look at that too. Like, are we open? Because sometimes our boundaries can be too harsh. And so... I mean, boundaries are boundaries, whether they're too passive or too rigid. So first things first, look at that communication style. And um, the second piece would be, are you assertive in asking for what you need? How do you feel about saying no? Right? <laughs> I saw that look, <laughs> right? We both Me just made Angel, a face. Not good. <laughs> not great. Right. Not and great. That's, you hit the nail on the head. I hear so many folks who say that, uh, uh, feels like sandpaper on my skin. I can't even wrap my brain around the idea of saying, no, what does that sound like, Alicia? And so practice, right? Practice what that even feels like. Mm. So um, so assertive communication, being able to advocate for yourself. um, those, Those would be the first pieces. Like what is your boundary type? What is your communication style? And... Be realistic with yourself. If you're a people pleaser, then that's really something to sit with. Like, what's my motivation? Because human behavior, they all serve a function. So what's my purpose? What's my goal in being people pleasing? Mm. It's I, interesting. As you're talking, I, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking, I'm really good at saying no to my daughter. I have a seven-year-old daughter and I tell her no all the time. But even at the end of the day, sometimes I'll lay in bed and I'm like, ah, oh, I should have said I should have said yesterday. I was maybe being a mean mom. I said no. But it's interesting that it's so easy to say no to my child, but then to other adults who I don't even remotely have that intense of a relationship with. I have a hard time saying no, especially to work people. So I had the um, pleasure of presenting about boundaries alongside Dr. Abby Spencer, who's the director of our Academy of Educators at WashU. And we were talking about specifically how hard it is to say no when you're a people pleaser or when you want to make sure you're communicating like that people have good ideas and that you want to be helpful. And she introduced me to the concept of a yes, no, which is where you say like, yes, that's a great idea. But no, I can't lead that for you right now. 
when can I follow up to see how I can support you? So for, for me, I've been trying, like that's been helpful to open with a yes because the immediate like no feels like, I don't want to discourage you. I don't want to shut you down. You have a great idea. So like the yes, no has felt helpful for me. I like that. It, that's a great idea for someone else mm-hmm. to do, mm-hmm. right? Instead mm-hmm. of owning it mm-hmm. yourself. So um, absolutely, when we talk about people-pleasing, I would also look at perfectionism because you actually said something, Erin, in that shoulds. At bedtime, I'm laying there saying, I should have. And that's actually a cognitive distortion that's really typically tied to perfectionism. That and some all or nothing thinking, like if I'm not perfect, air quotes here, right? (laughs) Perfect, then I'm a failure. And that's just not acceptable, right? So the shoulds, the uh, all or nothing, things like that. So a a really good rule of thumb when it comes to what's the function of my behavior in people-pleasing is what's my anxiety level also? Hmm. That's... Hi. Hi. There's a lot of fear. Yeah. Because that level is high. Realistically, there's a great deal of fear Mm -hmm. behind saying no Mm -hmm. for those of us, right, who really struggle with perfectionism, people pleasing. Mm. So really again, what's what's the function of saying yes? Mm. Um, well, it's getting rid of some of that fear, but then at bedtime I'm going, Ugh, I really wish I hadn't done that. Mm -hmm. So um great Great points with the yes, no. As a therapist, I'm leaning into the no. (laughs) Just the no. (laughs) No is a complete sentence, right? Mm -hmm. And again, it's that, but I don't want you to be disappointed Mm -hmm. with me if I say no, Mm -hmm. right? So again, that's a great idea for someone else to execute. Mm -hmm. So what are some... So I found that I'm much better at saying no over email. Um, it's a lot harder to say no to someone's face. And so sometimes I find myself, you know, wimping out a little bit and sending an email that says I can't help with something. Um, but when you catch me face-to-face, I'm a little bit more weak, and I, I know that I don't have those skills of, of saying no um, in person. So do you have any practice tips for people to kind of ease into the world of being people that say no? Actually, yes. I would say stand in front of a mirror and repeat it. Repeat it. Look at yourself. Watch yourself saying yes. So imagine the last time you said yes and you had that regret. So stand there in front of the mirror and imagine hearing that and now practicing no or how you can deliver no and still, and so that it doesn't feel like sandpaper, right? Mm-hmm. It, there, um, there are a lot of ways to say that, right? Like, you know, I would love to help but not right now. I just don't have the time right now. And like you were saying earlier, catch me catch me in a month, mm-hmm. catch me in two months if you still need help. I may have more free time then. But practice watching yourself. Mm-hmm. Notice your mannerisms. Again, human behavior, it serves a function. So watch yourself and say, what what is it that I'm conveying here that your ask is more important than my time? Mm-hmm. That's really hard right yeah yeah Erin I'm always struck by how different we are uh as you were talking (laughs) I was like it's the opposite for me I have a much harder time putting a no into writing because Mm. it feels much more permanent and I am I have an easier time delivering a softer feeling no in person 
where I can be like, that's a great idea. I don't think I can right now. But when I'm typing it, it feels like much more final and harder. So I'm the, the, I have the opposite feelings about that. Hmm. So I have a question for you about that. Hmm. Do you apologize when you have to say no? I'm so sorry. I sure do. I oh, I definitely <laughs> do. Absolutely. Yes. And so that's something also to check. Again, when you're practicing there in the mirror, hmm. You're not going to say, I'm sorry, when you're standing there looking at yourself. But it is such a habit for all of us perfectionists to apologize. Mm -hmm. And realistically, we don't need to. We don't need to. And I I find that a lot of women especially will say, I'm sorry, when maybe our male counterparts don't. Hmm. So, and I know that's a broad Mm -hmm. generalization. However, (laughs) in having done this job for many, many years, I can say women are more, more, just more apt to apologize. Mm. There's a lot that you can read about sort of how in academia, especially women do more of those like non-promotable tasks. And we say yes to a lot more of the things that aren't as outwardly recognized. I think we talked about that in an episode a few weeks ago, maybe, um, but this this sounds like maybe a part of it is that you know perhaps we just say yes more or we we feel worse when we have to say no. Absolutely, guilt. Mm. Yes, but then we have to wait. Is the guilt bigger than the regret? Mm. Right. Yeah, you don't need an answer. You can sit with it. I am. I am. I'm thinking. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard with a podcast. No one can see my great thinking face, but I'm thinking really deeply about that. (laughs) No, the the saying sorry thing is such a knee-jerk reaction Uh to me. I apologize for stuff that I have no business for a human being ever apologizing for. Mm -hmm. I apologize for things that are so far out of my control, but it's just the first words that come out of my mouth. Um, And that's interesting. I I catch myself doing it, and and I'm very aware of doing it, and I still... It's just, it just comes right, comes right out of my mouth. It, uh, it strikes me that there's a lot maybe about culture and like workplace culture built into this, that if your culture is conducive to people feeling empowered and comfortable and safe saying no, that it, this is a lot easier. Do you have thoughts or tips as we're thinking uh, about culture for how we can develop a culture where boundaries are acceptable and appropriate and welcomed? That's really hard here at this this particular university, right? Because we are known for being great. Mm. And so immediately you sign on to work here. And even if it's not expressed, this overt expression, I think we all own it that, but there's an expectation that you're going to be great. You're going to perform. And so I would say we have to also check burnout, Right, and really listen to ourselves. And then there's that assertiveness, that advocacy, self-advocacy. So as far as the culture, creating this openness to hearing, I need help rather than always asking, right? And if someone says, I don't have time right now, really believing them that, right? Oh, that's great, but can you do it, you know, after hours on the weekend? (laughs) But, right, and just accepting being accepting of boundaries from folks. And I'm, I would say that is probably very common in academia across the board. But I think especially here, we just, we attract the perfectionists and the people pleasers. And so, yes, so one, being open to hearing no, and two, listening for folks who come to you and say, I need help. I, it, because that is a boundary, Right. 
Yeah, it's interesting. One of my um, friends here has recently left the university and went to work at the University of Nebraska. And um, we were out to dinner recently, and she was talking to me a lot about how the difference in culture between Nebraska and versus Washington University. And she was saying how much more just openly people would say, oh, I can't do that today. I have my kids' baseball game this afternoon. Or I need to get home for my family. That'll just have to wait. And it was a different culture of acceptance of statements like that versus here at Washington University where she felt a lot of production pressure. So when she moved to Nebraska, she was telling me how she had to kind of realign her expectations because the same, you know, it was realigning her to say, okay, well, maybe I won't get this protocol through in the time frame I expected, but it's because people here have different um, boundaries that they've set for themselves. And it was it was a really healthy culture. And she was just going on and on about how great it was and how how much she realized production pressure that she just placed on herself that was totally unnecessary here just because of the culture of the institution. And it's really made me think a lot about sometimes when I'm stressed about something, I have to sit and say, is it is it really that? Or am I making that up in my brain? And Ooh, that's yeah. why I'm stressed about the situation. There are those cognitive distortions though too. And a lot of pressure on ourselves. Um, there, there are hundreds of cognitive distortions, but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> but they really do play into perfectionism a lot of times because we do the catastrophizing, right? Going worst case scenario. If I say no, then what? Mm-hmm. Right? And somehow we, our brains convince us that's truth mm-hmm. when it's actually fear and anxiety. And so uh, taking a step back from that and saying, okay, am I exaggerating this? It, what is reality? Reality is I'm one person and maybe opening a dialogue with that the other person whenever you do say no, right? And not assuming because mind reading is another cognitive distortion. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Sounds like we need a podcast episode on cognitive yes, distortion. Right? Yes. <laughs> but assuming mind reading, you know, if I say this, that they will be disappointed in me or I risk something, mm-hmm. right? And we we don't have tolerance for risk. Right. No way. So um, I know... You had sent me notes about some like work-life balance mm-hmm. and turning off email, not checking an email and not checking phone. One of the big things I see is folks who have Epic on their phone Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> For everyone at home, Erin raised her hand. Yes. yes. Sunday, they're called Sunday Scaries. Mm-hmm. And it's very real. Mm-hmm. So how much time you're actually getting to yourself on the weekend when Sunday morning at 8 a.m. you're logging in to check what what is waiting for you in the following week, right? And the truth is, it changes. So you're getting yourself really worked up <laughs> and <laughs> anticipating. And is there a benefit to that, right? Really, a lot of self-awareness mm-hmm. when it comes to boundaries, self-aware of, what is the purpose here? And you think your brain, right? Those distorted thinking patterns are saying, but we need to know this. We need to prepare. Mm -hmm. Is it any different to log in just Monday morning at seven instead of eight and say, okay, I can prepare instead of spending your Sunday worrying? That 
I so I've recently because I am very guilty of logging into Haiku at home. I'll, that's the last <laughs> thing I do at night before I go to sleep. I log into Haiku. I check my cases for the next day. I usually look right when I wake up to make sure nothing changes. Um, but I recently turned off all the notification noises on my phone so that I don't hear Epic. I mean, I don't hear yes. Outlook. I don't hear Epic. I don't hear text messages so that I don't feel prompted to look at my phone as much as I did. Um, and it has been so extremely helpful, you know, yes. for me personally to set that boundary with myself. Um, and then I also installed this app. I feel like I should get sponsorship for this, <laughs> I know. this app. But I put this app called Opal on my phone that hard locks me out of all of my social media and you cannot get around it. And so I've set some boundaries with myself because I knew that I was wasting time and it was stressing me out. And so I kind of locked myself out of some things. And it's been really good for my mental health because... It's allowed me to like step away from my phone and step away from work. And um, so, yes, if anyone needs help with that, <laughs> install the Oval app. Turning off the Outlook notifications has been a game changer for my ability to be productive during my work time. I was very much like I'd be working on something and really into it. And the second that ding would go, I would look at the email and answer it. I'm very guilty of wanting to answer emails immediately. Just clear it, get it done. But that disruption of my work time is super limiting in what I'm able to focus on and do. And something about just turning the notifications off, even if my email is open in the background, if I don't hear it, I don't go to it. Yeah. I, as someone told me recently to remember, an email is not a text message. Like, people do not expect an immediate response from it. And I definitely realized I was viewing email as a text message, as if I should be immediately responding to any needs. And, and that's not true. See, in my mind, a text message doesn't need a response right away. If you're calling me, I will try my best to answer. But if you're reaching out via text or email, I know the house is not on fire, right? Right. So... Definitely put things in perspective like that. And I don't know if you noticed, but you emailed me a few days ago to remind me about this. And I saw it and I read it and I had it planned in my mind exactly how I'd respond, but I didn't have time. And so it took me about 24 hours to respond. So I like could get myself put on the back, like, <laughs> right? I knew it was there mm -hmm. and I knew it was important, but at the same time, you weren't calling me and saying, Alicia, I need to know right now what our plan is. Mm -hmm. So uh, just something to think about. Yeah. When I think about boundaries, I think that there's a lot for me about time management rolled mm. into that too. I'm better with boundaries when I'm managing my time better. And when my systems are working, like I can flag an email and know that I can come back to it. Otherwise, I'm very guilty of being the person who either answers you immediately or answers you in a month when I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't answer this. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> but when my systems are working well... I'm able to hold my boundaries and maintain them more effectively. Absolutely. It feels empowering, right? It's almost a silent advocacy. Hmm. Yeah. Ooh, silent advocacy. Mm -hmm. That's a good that's a good word. Oh, there's a lot of power in silence. Yeah. A great deal of power in silence. And I mean, you have a seven year old trying not responding when she whines nags. I'm not saying she whines or nags. Oh, she oh, does. Okay. <laughs> Right. But yes, or you asked, I answered. Make it as succinct as possible. Mm -hmm. It's a great boundary for parents. It's called gray rocking. Have you ever heard of gray rocking? No, tell me more. I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. I need to know this. <laughs> yes, so they're like a canned response. It's less emotional mm -hmm. because ultimately what happens when our kiddos get us emotional? 
we we give in, right? Yes. It, the best way to get yourself a candy bar is to have a big fit in the, the <laughs> checkout, right? Yep. Because it gets us all discombobulated and we're just desperate for them to stop. Mm-hmm. And so a really great boundary is to practice these canned responses like, oh, you, you asked, I answered. And just keep saying that. They'll eventually give up. I'm going to try this today. I like <laughs> It's coming for you, five-year-old son, this yeah. evening. Oh, I have lists. I will email them to you. There's some great ones for Please. kiddos especially, yeah. right? And it's okay to be silent. Disengaging gives you power as a parent. It's a great boundary. Mm. That's um, It's interesting because I led a meeting earlier this week where we were talking about um, being an upstander and kind of having, you know, de-escalation scenarios and we were talking about having your go-to phrase to kind of mm. be de-escalate a situation or your your word and and um one of the providers said it so perfectly I thought it was so great for all of us that use epic he he said I have my dot phrase my de-escalation dot phrase <laughs> like and, and and Rachel doesn't use epic but in epic if you don't want to you have a pre-made note and you yes. type in a dot phrase and it all of a sudden puts a whole note in your <laughs> chart for you so it's these pre pre-formed uh-huh. sentences and notes and so he said well yeah I have my dot phrase in my pocket and when someone is you know rude or aggressive I just use that and I walk away and I was like what a great way Hmm. to say that because clinicians all have we all have our dot phrases yeah and um I was like yeah you need dot phrases Hmm. for for saying no for setting boundaries for Hmm. being an upstander um yes thank you for your input yeah that's that's a good dot phrase Uh (laughs) yeah absolutely but gray rocking is a great way to set boundaries as a communication technique. And it was really developed, if you will, in response to manipulative kind of tactics, mm. a lot of those like narcissistic, but I'm not, and I'm not saying your kiddos are narciss- narcissistic. I'm saying that kids will do whatever it takes mm-hmm. to get what they want. Mm-hmm. Well, they're by so, nature selfish, right? Oh like my their gosh, world yes. is them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, 100%. Mm. Um, it's interesting. One of the things you know, coming back to kind of the phone is I was reading a book um, kind of about boundaries and healthcare workers. And so she was talking about even when you think about the phone, she was like, even if it's a patient issue, you're covering a patient phone, there's really no reason that you can't ever let the phone call go to voicemail, check to see what it is and immediately call back if it's an urgent issue, but giving yourself that boundary and space to not necessarily pick up the phone at all times and to like, mm. it's okay to let things go to voicemail and respond. But even even the phone, sometimes if that's your your boundary vice to kind of make some boundaries with, with your phone. I use that when folks are struggling with family, especially if there's an unhealthy family dynamic. And you know, I'm talking, like you see the text, you see the name, you, you probably have a special ringtone assigned to that <laughs> person. It's okay to let it go, but sometimes we feel this compulsion. Like, again, we don't want to disappoint. We don't want them to be upset with us. And absolutely embrace the silence, embrace letting it go and give yourself a minute to think on it, sleep on it. But again, ask yourself, what is my motivation for answering right now? Is it to people, please? It's because I don't want them to be upset with me if I don't answer. Hmm. I'm a chronic non-answerer. I, I just don't answer my phone. 
Uh, and now I feel like I have a very good explanation for why. It's a boundary. I have it is. setting a boundary. I don't I don't like to be caught off guard by a conversation. I prefer a text message or a voicemail so that I'm prepared for what you wanted. Uh, which also, you know, when people are calling to ask you to do things or need something from you, it gives me time to think of how I want to respond. So I like that I now have appropriate language to explain why I don't answer my phone. I was going to say, unless you're a teenager and mine don't answer for anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just probably started for me when I was a teenager. Like, uh, it's called a phone, <laughs> not the texter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard my mother say those words to me. (laughs) (laughs) So one last kind of thing I wanted to talk about today was boundaries specifically for healthcare Mm -hmm. providers, because I think sometimes just the nature of our job and why we got into our job for clinicians is wanting to be there for your patient and kind of leaving it all out on the field for your patients and, and bringing a lot of that home with you. And I find myself, you know, after tough days and tough cases, I, I bring a lot of emotional baggage with me home um, to kind of talk about where, how to protect yourself both from burnout and emotionally and yourself when you, when you deal with heavy situations at work. Great question. And I think that a lot of times our patients don't realize long after we have actually met with them, we are thinking about them, we're thinking about their treatment. We are really, we don't forget once, whenever we leave the room, they're still on our minds. And so I, I generally steer clear of this term, but self-care, right? Because it puts it on us to take care of ourselves. But the truth is, that's unfortunately the, the way it is. No one's going to take care of us. And so to prevent some burnout, I have a, a big five Nutrition, exercise, water, sleep, and sunshine. So it spells news with two S's if you want to remember those. But nutrition being eat, right? I, it would be great if you got fruits and vegetables, but I see so many folks. I'm like, so tell me what you had for lunch. Uh, granola bar. I'm like, no, that is not lunch, right? And realistically, there's this huge connection between your mind and your gut. And so you want to keep it healthy, Right, And so it's a a pretty slight thing that you can do. Um, Exercise, I'm not asking anyone to join CrossFit. (laughs) Good. Right? (laughs) No, no marathon training here. But if you can walk, it is a great anxiety reliever, right? If you have stairs, run up and down the stairs. Um, Water, it helps with inflammation, especially in your brain, right? Uh, Sleep. We'll, we'll come back to sleep. Sunshine. <laughs> sunshine helps to regulate sleep because of your circadian rhythms. And it, it does help with mood, especially if you can be out in nature when you go for that five-minute walk. But if I had to choose any one particular self-care thing to prioritize, it would be sleep. So much magic happens in your brain when you're asleep, mm. right? It, it really, I can't stress it enough and try to not sleep more than nine hours. That can be really catastrophic if you sleep more than nine hours. Try not to nap. That can also be catastrophic. It will really get your circadian rhythm off. It will disrupt REM sleep patterns. REM sleep is beautiful, right? So much magic happens there. And uh, we could come back and do an entire talk on sleep. But um, definitely prioritize that. At least six hours, but not more than nine if you can. So if that means turning off your devices so that you can prioritize it, it really does help with mood. So um, 
when it comes to physicians specifically, I see a lot of folks who are doing four hours because they're up late taking care of notes or things of that nature or pre-planning for tomorrow or whatever the case may be. So those, that's my big five for really, truly anyone. Mm. As far as physicians go and turning it off, I wish there was a hard and fast answer for that. That's just who providers are, mm-hmm. right? We we probably care. I won't say too much, but we do, we care. And so it's hard to turn that off. A really great boundary is don't get into Epic and start returning messages over the weekend, right? They know their emergency, mm-hmm. uh, their, their big plan, right? And this is me treating people who have suicidal ideations, right? Give them a plan. Um, If you need something in an emergency, this is your go-to person, right? And I am always sure to tell them, I don't check my messages over the weekend. And they'll say, you know, what about email? No, I'm really sorry. Again, there's me apologizing, (laughs) right? But I'm not going to answer over the weekend, right? So that they know what the expectation is. So maybe that's the best answer for a physician. Tell your folks up front Mm -hmm. so they know what to expect. Yeah, Yeah, I'm hearing a lot about clear communication in there. The clearer we are, I think a lot, the clearer is kind. And so if you have a boundary, telling people up front and being clear about it so that it doesn't surprise anyone. That makes me think of the... More and more, I see people putting in their email uh, signatures, like, feel free to respond at your own time. I won't answer email at these times. Or I might be sending an email at a weird time, but you don't have to. Like, all those sort of clear communications around your your workflow and your expectations and what you will or won't do. I think that makes me feel like it's easier. Like, I've been, I've, I've told you. And now it's not a surprise and it's not a big deal. There's that assertive communication again, right? Mm-hmm. Not being passive, but not also being too aggressive. And I don't don't really see too much aggressive around here. It's passive. Mm-hmm. It's yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> the yeses. Well, it's interesting. So Dr. Jesse Gold, who is uh, also yeah. here in the Department of Psychiatry at WashU, um, she recently um, was part of a paper and a study that was showing how exponentially higher the messages um, on Epic and other digital platforms that physicians and clinicians are receiving off hours and how it's just ever since COVID where we've opened this Pandora's box of being able mm-hmm. to talk to your physician um, outside of the office um, mm-hmm. and how much and how heavily that's weighed on clinicians. Um, and it's really made me appreciate like how, you know, this isn't changing. Like this is the new way forward that we're going to have to be, um, we appear more um, available mm-hmm. to our patients and to our colleagues and to the importance <coughs> of like setting these boundaries now to practice because it's only going to get worse. I mean, the mm. accessibility of all of us to everyone else is just incessantly increasing. Mm. And so, you know, how we really need to learn how to do this and set boundaries. And I think most of the pressure there comes from within, right? Because we want to be there. We want to be helpful. So again, check that human behavior. What's the purpose of me wanting to stretch myself too thin? Is yeah. it to be helpful? Yeah. Who is it helping? <laughs> not not yeah. you, probably. Yeah. I, I think about a lot. A, a yes to someone when I'm overextended is an implicit no to someone or something else. Mm-hmm. Right? When I overcommit and I take something else on, I'm trying to do better about reminding myself, like, this means no to my spouse or no to one of my kids or no to myself. <laughs> Or no to this other project that's actually more important to me. Um, and so that 
reminder that there's a trade-off to a yes has been helpful, but also sometimes makes me feel extra guilty when I... <laughs> it is. It is It is very... It's a, that guilty, but do you feel regret hmm. would be the other piece, right? But you're right. Whenever I, I go through the nutrition, exercise, water, sleep, and sunshine, if you are saying yes to all of those other things do you even have the opportunity to do those very slight things, right? Because ultimately the that list is is pretty simple. Mm-hmm. But if you so if you are missing out on any one of those, I would say is it because you said yes to something else? I'm feeling very called out because I had a cliff bar for lunch today because I was so busy. So this is, uh, I, uh, people who work near me know I don't ever drink water. And I'm reminded again today I've not had a sip of water today. Uh I've had two cups of coffee, no yeah. water. Yeah, so, same. yeah, I need to work on this news list. <laughs> I yeah. did exercise I, this morning. So. Oh, good for you. And I slept. I slept well last night. So, you know, two out of five nice. is, is not bad. Nice. <laughs> I won't share my number for, for the news today. Today, today is, I'm not a shining example. <laughs> it's not a competition. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, that that's a good action item for all of our listeners to take home. It sure is. To, yes, work on your news for the week. Great. Well, this was fabulous. This has been so helpful for me personally, but I think also for everyone listening, mm. this was some great, like tangible good. things that we can all do mm-hmm. and realize how much we all, it's always good to know when other people are struggling with the same things mm-hmm. as you. It's kind of a universal it topic is. for mm. people, but especially all of us working in academic medicine in yeah. particular. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a theme I see. And and any providers, I see it with nurses, OT, PT, you know, anyone who is people facing, so to speak, right? Um, and before we are done, I do want to give a shout out, if we can, mm-hmm. promote this book uh, or books, I should say. I cannot recommend them enough. I didn't write it. I get no royalties from this. <laughs> no disclosures. <laughs> right? Nedra Glover Tawab, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. There is a companion a workbook that goes with it. And then if you are having unhealthy family relationships, she has a second book and it is called Drama Free, The Guide to Managing Unhealthy Family Relationships, right? So um, she really gets into some family of origin stuff. So even if you feel like your family's pretty healthy, I recommend diving into that book because if you're a perfectionist, there was something early on in your life that really conditioned you into that as an adult. But and she has a great social media presence. She has an e-newsletter, but she has some really tangible things you can sink your teeth into, a lot of exercises and homework and things of that nature that can be really helpful. Yeah, she. I follow her on Instagram and she has great like daily little bite-sized nuggets of things you can practice and kind of words of wisdom that are fabulous. So for those, her last name is spelled T-A-W-W-A-B. I actually have her book sitting right in front of me (laughs) as I was preparing for this podcast. That was my main source. I haven't read either one, but I plan to read them both. So if you're listening and that sounds interesting (laughs) to you, reach out. We can sort of read read them together. We can do a little book clubbing around these. Oh, that would be so fantastic. Add it to our agenda uh-huh. list. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Great. We've had like several new podcast ideas. Well, it sounds like yep. we sleep and book club and <laughs> all kinds of Cognitive distortions. Cognitive distortions. <laughs> yep. 
I wrote that down earlier, but I wrote dysfunction, but that's not the right word. Cognitive <laughs> distortion. Maybe I have some dysfunction too. Distortion is what we'll talk about. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Alicia. This was incredibly helpful, yeah. and I'm sure everyone's going to find this incredibly helpful information. Um, great. Well, we're so glad everyone could listen in today, and uh, we look forward to sharing more with you on future episodes. Thank you for having me. I loved it. I'll come back if you'll have me. Great. Okay. Great. <laughs> Thanks so much.